0: Welcome to the Investment Matters podcast from Newton Investment Management. This podcast is intended for UK, US, Canadian, Australian and New Zealand institutional investors only. You can listen to important regulatory disclosures at the end of this podcast. The Investment Matters podcast was recorded in line with current government guidelines around social distancing. We apologise for any issues in recording quality.
1: Welcome to Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Podcast. I'm Matt Goodburn from the Investment Communications team. And today we're joined by Kirk Custard, our Chief Investment Officer, Maria Teneva, who's a Global Consumer Analyst, and Ed Dial, who's a Global thematic Analyst in the Investment team. Today, we're going to continue our look at the themes and thematic investments. We haven't talked about, obviously, uh, state intervention, which is a obviously a huge factor at the moment given the you know, unprecedented levels of monetary and, and fiscal policy. Does anyone want to, to comment on that and how that's having an impact on,
2: on global markets? I, you know, The degree of state intervention uh, is unprecedented uh, in, in, from my perspective. Um, I don't think uh, I've ever seen markets more consciously manipulated than they are now. I mean, this is done by a monetary policy uh, around the world. And, you know, it has lots of names, whether it's MMT or financial repression or whatever it is, but it's a distortion of of the moral hazard associated with, with investing. Um, and that has boosted PEs, I think, across the uh, equity markets. It's it's clearly reduced uh, nominal and real yields, um, allowing for record issuance of debt, you know, to help support the, the, the covid uh, Fiscal policy stance, so it, it's it's a really rare um, occurrence, and and it makes you know focusing on traditional metrics for, for investing like valuation, etc., very difficult to do. Um, obviously, when your discount rate goes to zero, your your valuation uh, becomes infinite, and that's an uncomfortable place for most investors. Um, I, I my heart goes out to those uh, deep value investors who are who are following a, a Benjamin Graham. Uh, approach, or who are looking for some kind of cyclicality, uh in in their investments. It's it's a, it's a really really challenging time, and and this is the funny part is this isn't coming necessarily from uh, the the less developed world where you you would assume that you know in the EM space you know there'd be more willingness for politicians to meddle in the markets. Um, this is coming from the developed world, you know, and it's coming with the blessing of of multinational organizations. This is a really unprecedented time.
1: And I guess that you could make the point from that, that it's another reason why given all these considerations, why themes uh, are always developing and evolving. Um, and as I say, we currently have our, have nine key themes. Um, another one, which I guess is so closely linked to, to COVID. Um, and I don't know who really wants to have a quick word on this, but healthy demand. Um, you know, we've seen uh, Big changes in the in the healthcare sector, and obviously that's ongoing and accelerating now. Does anyone have a comment on on how things are perhaps changing in in the health sector?
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Matt. Um, one one thing that we really have seen is an emphasis on on healthcare standards, um, which is something that perhaps many many of us took for granted prior to prior to COVID. But with uh, the virus. Uh, Dominating news channels, we, we have seen a, a really renewed emphasis on, on, on our own and our family's health. Uh, within the context of our healthy demand theme, what we're trying to look at is look at those areas within the theme which we feel might be accelerated. Uh, one particularly interesting area that I like uh, is the, the increased adoption of wearable technology. I'm sure most of us have some kind of Apple Watch, Garmin, Android device, which enables us to track our sleep, it enables us to track our health during the day. Um, This is something that I think really could start taking off. They're, They're relatively cheap, inexpensive to buy, yet when we are faced with consumers who are becoming more conscious about their health, the ability to have that data at your fingertips is something that I think will be much more appealing to a larger number of consumers. Um, The other point that I would make, um, given the global nature of this pandemic, is is what's happening in terms of healthcare in in Asia. Um, There's been a real bifurcation in terms of the provision of healthcare uh, between developed and developing economies. In uh, certainly in, in Europe, we're, we're very used to uh, free health care being provided by the NHS and the standards are, are, are really quite excellent. Um, it's unfortunately not been the case in, in many parts of the developing world and across Asia, the out-of-pocket spend that we've seen um, from countries like China, Vietnam, Indonesia, and India has been extraordinarily high. Now, when you're faced with the proposition of high out-of-pocket spending, what you actually find is that consumers become more reticent to spend on healthcare. So one of the things that we are monitoring is the extent to which emerging economies, particularly in Asia, are willing to take a greater share of that burden. And as they do that, I think that actually serves conversely as a tailwind for these more affluent consumers in places like China to start investing in uh, their own um, wearable devices, for example. So it's something, it's, it's, a, it's a critical trend. It's, it's, it's one that um, we have seen unfolding um, for, for a number of years. I just think with a heightened emphasis on our own and our family's health, this is something that could be quite significant over the next 10 years or so. One thing we really have seen is the emergence of, of telehealth or telemedicine. Um, as people have been forced to stay in their homes, mandated by governments who are not able to leave your home for any reason, people have been forced to seek out alternative methods of, of, of consulting medical advice. Um, on average, in doctor visits, take about 120 minutes, um, 20 minutes for the doctor Uh, About 101 minutes spent traveling and waiting to get there. Now, what we've seen from uh, some of the most innovative providers of telemedicine is the ability to turn over patients both accurately and quickly has increased massively. There's one company that does work in this area, and they estimate that they can get around 8,000 visits per day in the U.S. So clearly this is something that people have been forced to use during the pandemic, yeah. and the scale and efficiency that we've seen is something that could well mean this continues in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Maria, do, do you have anything to add on that? Obviously, there's a crossover with the online consumers. Yeah,
4: Yes, I can add a few things to uh, what was already uh, said here. Consumers have seen some um, noticeable changes this year. Uh, but there are two trends that I would really like to touch upon. First is the growth in athleisure, and second is the rise of the plant-based meat alternatives. On the athleisure side, um, in a matter of days this March, everyday office attire went from traditional workwear to workout clothes. We used to have a wardrobe for work, then a wardrobe for working out, and obviously something else for the weekend. Uh, now this is all blended, it's all one, it's basically active wear. Um, in particular, retailers that I speak to all talk about the growth what, uh, that they're seeing in their pajama and yoga pants, which shows us that um, during the pandemic, we all like to uh, wear something more comfortable. One interesting data point that I can add here is that um, one very popular North American yoga brand um, that, uh, where all the stores, uh, whose stores were all closed during the pandemic in the spring and summer, managed to deliver 2% growth in that quarter, which is quite respectable given how dismal retail sales overall were. And that 2% growth was delivered mostly um, on the back of the strength of its e-commerce channel where sales grew 155% in um, its second quarter. And in addition to At Leisure, uh, when we talk about wellness trends, it's worth pointing out the growth of the plant-based meat products. Plant-based foods was, um, uh, were a growing business even before the pandemic, but in the last 10 months, sales in that category have exploded. In fact, um, these products are one of the key drivers of growth at grocery retailers in the developed world outpacing overall food growth uh, by more than five times. Um, according to Nielsen, sales of f- fresh plant-based meat alternatives have, been, have um, nearly doubled every month this year, which is quite substantial. And maybe we're talking about what is driving that growth. Uh, traditionally, uh, when we used to talk about plant-based meat, we, refers to, we refer to things like tofu burgers, which uh, used to appeal mostly to people who are vegan and vegetarians. However, um, there has been a lot of innovation in that sector, and a few companies have come up with products which are quite tasty, such as meat, meat-free burgers, uh, which, um, ha- which are appealing to non-vegans and non-vegetarians, and that has largely expanded the total addressable market of this uh, plant-based meat so, in summary, um, these are two trends that are uh, currently seeing lots of momentum, and I don't think uh, that momentum will necessarily disappear when the pandemic ends.
1: Just really wanted to talk about the work we do around sort of, you know, the data that we collect and, and how we evidence the effectiveness of our thematic uh, approach. I mean, Terp, perhaps I can, I can come back to you on this. I mean, obviously, you've, you've put a lot of work together within the team of how we how we like use um, analysis and, and quants to, to look at how the, how the themes work in practice. Could you perhaps focus through some of that work?
2: So, um, obviously, when you're thinking about themes, what you want to try to identify is, is my hypothesis right, right? And you also want to get a sense of whether themes are actually playing out as you expect them to and whether they're perhaps accelerating or, or waning in, in their intensity. And the way we look at that is we try to have as, as much as we can a, a quantitative sort of underpinning to analyze that data. So firstly, we look at the revenue uh, a company may derive from a, from a feed. So, if you, you know, we had earlier mentioned wearables in terms of healthcare devices. That's a clear category. We can start to measure the industry-wide revenue uh, associated with that. Um, the other thing that we look at is forward-looking announcements. And this typically comes you know, from management of a company about what they're going to do, right? And we use a technique called natural language processing to parse the text uh, of announcements coming out, and we try to assemble those and figure out the frequency of certain words are are being used, whether, whether, say, it's renewables or wearables or uh, some of the theme that we've identified. Um, And then we bring those together in a quantitative approach to try and measure, uh, the intensity of that theme. So we combine revenue, we cut word count, and, and that gives us sort of a proxy for a given company's, uh, sort of thematic intensity. And then also whether or not the theme itself, uh, is playing out as we expect. Um, we bring that all together, uh, and we score stuff and we score them through time. And that allows us, as I said, to be able to come up with just a guidepost. It's not, it's not, you know, a definitive measure because there's still a lot of, willingness around some of the stuff, but it gives us a really good indication of whether the overall theme is playing out and which companies are, are best placed to uh,
3: to benefit. Just to build on, on Kurt's point there uh, around the, uh, the mixture of the quantitative and the qualitative approach, I suppose ultimately what this is all grounded in is trying to establish um, three key aspects of the theme for us we're really interested in understanding a theme's breadth. And by breadth, I think what we're talking about here uh, is the extent to which a theme manifests across multiple sectors. So it's very easy to think of the electric vehicle trend, which we discussed earlier, and look at that solely within the context of auto OEM. But when we broaden that uh, discussion out, we actually can find multiple areas, further upstream and downstream, which are potentially equal beneficiaries of the thematic trend playing out. But crucially, they're, they're not as appreciated. So that might be the upstream uh, input companies, those companies providing the key elements to the construction of batteries. So the breadth is, is one, one key aspect. The other thing we're looking at is depth. Um, that sort of goes in the other direction. When we have identified that the theme is manifesting across multiple areas, it's about determining to what extent that theme is playing out and will play out on that particular area. To what extent, to what magnitude will that impact a company's earnings going forward? So they've got the breadth and the depth aspect there. The final part, and, and I think this is really very, very critical. And we hear about thematic investing, a lot of it can be very short term orientated chasing news stories, chasing fads at its core. Thematics is a long duration, so the, f- the third pillar there, if you will, is, is duration for us. Yeah. over what time frame do we expect this theme to be materializing? Yeah. Um, the only point I would make in addition to that if um, any listeners are interested in, in finding out a little bit more about that, um, I would very much encourage you all to go and visit the Newton website and take a look at our thematic investing white paper, which really goes into, uh, into, into much more detail about these, these key elements of thematic investing that Kurt, Maria and myself have just discussed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, good point. And that paper is, is well worth a read. Um, I just want to quickly come back to Maria. So, Maria, just looking at, I know you had three points to add on our, um, you know, how we approach our thematic thematic work.
4: I'd like to add a few things on uh, Kurt's point of how we monitor the validity of our themes. The way, as analysts, we do it in practice, uh, we have um, something which we call thematic expectations and milestones for each sub-theme. Uh, yeah. The first, um, you know, to give you just to give you an example on the convenience team, um the milestone that we have identified and that we monitor are how online first how online sales are developing and growing in respect to the bricks and mortar sales, and obviously there we have to, we would like to see a good progression of online sales uh, growing much faster than um, retail sales. Um, second is we look at how convenience formats are doing, vis-a-vis uh, the regular grocery stores, and thirdly, uh, for the uh, in order to continue to monitor the convenience team. Uh, theme we also look at how uh, ready to go uh, delivery food is doing in respect to restaurant sales so these are just some small examples how we'll monitor some themes and um, how we can adjust them uh, with time
1: thanks Maria really really interesting to see how the process works um, I think we'll leave it there does anyone have any last points they want to make just to wrap up uh,
2: no I just want to thank my team and and um, uh, congratulate them on, on focusing on the future. It's going to be an exciting time if you ever get out of COVID. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's always nice to end nice on, on a hopefully a positive note, looking forward. Uh, I'd just like to thank Kurt, I'd like to thank Maria, and I'd like to thank Ed for their time. Uh, and we will catch up with you all again shortly.
0: Please note the following important information. Your capital may be at risk. The value of investments and the income from them can fall as well as rise and investors may not get back the original amount invested. This podcast is a financial promotion. Material in this podcast is for general information only. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Newton and should not be construed as investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security or commodity any reference to a specific country or sector should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell in this country or sector. Compared to more established economies, the value of investments in emerging markets may be subject to greater volatility due to differences in generally accepted accounting principles or from economic or political instability or less developed market practices. Where a portfolio has exposure to hedge funds, gold, private equity and property via publicly quoted transferable securities, there are additional risks associated with these sectors. This podcast is issued by Newton Investment Management Ltd, the Bank of New York Mellon Centre, 160 Queen Victoria Street, London, EC4V4LA, registered in England, number 01371973. Newton Investment Management is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20, 1JN, and is a subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation. Newton, and or the Newton Investment Management brand, refers to Newton Investment Management Limited. Newton is registered with the SEC as an investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Newton's investment business is described in form ADV Part 1 and 2, which can be obtained from the sec.gov website or obtained upon request. Personnel of certain of our BNY Mellon affiliates may act as 1. Registered representatives of BNY Mellon Securities Corporation in its capacity as a registered broker-dealer to offer securities. 2. Officers of the Bank of New York Mellon, a New York chartered bank, To offer bank-maintained collective investment funds and three associated persons of bny mellon securities corporation in its capacity as a registered investment advisor to offer separately managed accounts managed by bny mellon investment management firms including newton certain information contained herein is based on outside sources believed to be reliable but their accuracy is not guaranteed unless you are notified to the contrary The products and services mentioned are not insured by the FDIC or by any governmental entity and are not guaranteed by, or obligations of, the Bank of New York or any of its affiliates. The Bank of New York assumes no responsibility for the accuracy or completeness of the above data and disclaims all expressed or implied warranties in connection therewith. Copyright 2020, The Bank of New York Company, Inc. All rights reserved. In Canada, Newton Investment Management Limited is availing itself of the International Advisor Exemption in the following provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec, and the Foreign Commodity Trading Advisor Exemption in Ontario. The International Advisor Exemption is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions and Ongoing Registrant Obligations. In Australia and New Zealand, this podcast is for Australian wholesale clients and New Zealand wholesale investors only and is not intended for distribution to nor should it be relied upon by retail clients. This information has not been prepared to take into account the investment objectives, financial objectives, or particular needs of any particular person. Before making an investment decision, you should carefully consider With or without the assistance of a financial advisor, whether such an investment strategy is appropriate in light of your particular investment needs, objectives and financial circumstances. Newton Investment Management Limited is exempt from the requirement to hold an Australian financial services licence in respect of the financial services it provides to wholesale clients in Australia and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the UK under UK laws which differ from Australian laws. Newton Investment Management Limited is authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20 1JN. Newton is providing financial services to wholesale clients in Australia in reliance on ACIC Corporations Repeal and Transitional Instrument 2016 forward slash 396 a copy of which is on the website of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, www.asic.gov.au. The instrument exempts entities that are authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, such as Newton, from the need to hold an Australian financial services licence under the Corporations Act 2001, for certain financial services provided to Australian wholesale clients on certain conditions. Financial services provided by Newton are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority under laws and regulatory requirements of the United Kingdom, which are different to the laws applying in Australia. Newton is providing financial services to wholesale investors in New Zealand in reliance on the safe harbour regime under the Financial Markets Conduct Act 2013, Schedule 1, Part 3.